0: How to Play, episode 40, Goa. Hello and welcome back to the How to Play podcast. This is your host, Ryan Sturm, coming to you from the How to Play studios in western New York. The How to Play podcast is all about learning and teaching games. In each episode, I provide a full explanation to help you learn and learn to teach another great game. For more How to Play episodes, special episodes, teaching guides, our discussion forums, and to help support the show, visit our website at www.howtoplaypodcast.com. Also, be sure to visit our affiliated podcast on the Dice Tower Network at dicetowernetwork.com. Now let's get to today's episode. Hello everyone, thank you once again for tuning in. This is your host, Ryan Sturm, and today we're covering Goa, one of my top 20 games of all time. Now my apologies, I know it's been a long time, I know we had the fundraiser to support getting the show out monthly. All I'll say is that I had a lot of personal issues with my family And September and August were real crazy months here for the Sturm family. But we'll get back in the schedule. Things have all sorted themselves out, and we're getting back to the new normal. So here we go, episode 40. This episode was recorded on September 29th, 2012, and we'll get to talking about Goa in just a couple minutes, but first I need to introduce our sponsors for this episode. This episode's sponsors are the Good People of the South. I had a bowl of grits this morning in tribute to all of you. In Alabama, thank you, Robert. In Florida, thank you, Bob, Mark, Jamie, and Jim. In Georgia, thank you, Robert and Scott. In Kentucky, thank you, Justin. In North Carolina, thank you, Robert Miracle. What a wonderful name. And the good people of Texas, Perry, Brett, Seth, Rachel, Craig, Paul, and Michael, thank you all very much. This episode is for you, the great supporters of the South. So now let's get to Goa. Goa was designed in 2004 by Rüdiger Dorn, published by Rio Grande Games, And then we've all, a lot of us, uh, including me, have been patiently, patiently, and then not so patiently, waiting for the game to be reprinted, and the designer wanted to take the game back and make a few little adjustments to it, and I'm happy to say, it was worth the wait, having just played the new version here, that was released in August, and it's titled, you can tell the difference, because it says, Goa, a new expedition, and this one is printed by Z-Man Games, plus you can probably not very easily find at least at your online retailers the old version anymore goa plays between two and four i personally am not very interested in trying this with two it's good with three uh, but definitely best with four you're really looking for four players i mentioned before that this game is in my top 20 favorite games of all time i really love this game Why do I love it? It has two brilliant mechanical systems within the game. First of all, the auction system that it uses. It's really a creative way of choosing items to auction for. It uses a really tight once-around bidding and also a closed economy where the money bid going back to the players and it's just sort of circular in that way. It's one of the best auction systems out there right now. Secondly, the technology tree. Yes, using a technology tree is not innovative in itself, but what's innovative in this game is that this game forces you to choose as your action of whether to advance on a tech tree or to activate an item on the tech tree. And that choice makes for a very interesting game. Do I get better at it or do I need to do that action? Just that simple choice makes for a lot of fun decisions. This game's really the best of what Eurogames do. Originally from sort of the the height of Eurogames, I guess, around 2004. It has, as I said, one of the best auction systems. It does very well the sort of multiple paths to victory. It's a constructive game where you you get that good feeling of sort of building up your own little world, as we talked about constructive there on, on the Ludology podcast. You build up that economic engine, and you feel like... At the end of the game, even if you don't win, you feel like you've created something and, and you're further than you were at the beginning of the game. It has that nice indirect conflict. All the conflict happens through the auction phase of the game, and you know they're not directly taking away from you something that you, you own. It's They're taking away something maybe that you want, but they can't really directly impact the things that you already have. And unlike a lot of Euro games, this game really feels unique. There's no game that I can really directly compare Goa to. It really is its own unique animal and and as such deserves a place on your shelf especially if you like Euro games. If you like Euro games, you're going to love Goa. It gives you, and does all of this, it wraps all of this in to a very tight package. You can easily play this game in 90 minutes, if not less. And you probably have to make about 50 tough, interesting decisions in those 90 minutes. It has quick turns and a lot going on. So who won't like this game? Well, it's pretty clear. Uh, You know, this is a through-and-through Euro game. It's a mechanics-first game. You don't play games designed by Rüdiger Dorn for their immersive theme. You know, Rüdiger comes up with some Creative ideas, interesting ways for the game to work, and then, you know, probably decides on what to call whatever that is afterwards. The theme is very thin. It could be about anything, but for me, I don't care because the game is is so satisfying and interesting, uh, you know, without a, a great thematic connection there. As I said, the, the conflict is more indirect, so if you like more direct conflict, if you like to go and invade your opponent's cinnamon plantation, then you're going to be disappointed. It's also sort of a serious, thinky game. You know, people who are playing Goa are all sort of sta- sitting there at the table, staring at the table, thinking out different permutations in their head. It's not sort of a, a social game. It's not a, a laugh-a-minute game. It's more of a serious, thinky-type game. And that sort of serious, thinky Experience that it gives I think really has an impact on the rating that I'm going to give it for its game complexity. Uh, You know, the game does not have a lot of rules but I'm still going to call this a Black Diamond because Black Diamond I label as a gamer's game. A a game for people who love figuring out games and, and playing more complicated games because it's tough to play well and it's a game that in order to play well players really need to invest in to figure out the values of how much different things are, are worth, to really develop a strategy. You can't just sort of make random decisions and if someone does that, it's going to make for a not very good game as which happens in, in a lot of auction games. If you have someone who's not bothering to figure out you know, how much they should be paying, it's going to throw everything out of whack. So this is a game for gamers and as such, I will call it a black diamond on my rating system. If you want to know more about the rating system i explain the whole thing uh, at my website howtoplaypodcast.com let's get into our show with the hook the intro the meat of the rules and the hamster to give you some basic strategy at the end i'll do some veggies talking about all the different tiles the things that you're auctioning for and i'll talk about all the changes that took place from the old edition to the new edition if you're interested in that as always it's great to own the game and and you might as well go out and buy this game i'm I'm telling you right now if you love euro games you're going to love this one i've been waiting for for years and years and years for this new edition to come out and and i'm so thrilled by it and i think you'll love it too so have that game so that you can look at the different components as i explain it to you if you haven't bought it yet uh, you can go online of course to look at the the board and the components so I am so excited. Getting back to our roots. Euro games, you know. I thought we needed something special for this episode. Uh, you know, I, we don't. maybe I'll take a break from the sound effects. Um, we've done the silly voices thing. Uh, we need something different. And I thought, you know, what would be really great would be for me to sing some karaoke. Because if there's one thing I get a lot of requests for, is for me to sing more on the podcast. And if we could make it sort of like a a theme, a theme song for this episode, I think that would be really great. So I'm going to get out my Casio synthesizer, um, dust off the old drum machine here, my headband and my members only wallet, you know, because we're going way back, way back to 2004. Let's do this. Mm -hmm. Ryan, what you doing? Rolling so many dice Say you don't care who plays All these games, space Options and a VPs Stable probability Too much thematic content Too much uncertainty Wolfgang likes the wood cube your reviews, do you remember? We built this podcast, we built this podcast on Eurogays, we built this podcast, yeah, we built this podcast on Eurogays, we built this podcast, we built this podcast on game Part 1 The Hook What the Game is About Welcome to Goa. You are a Portuguese merchant trying to profit off of your colonies in India. In this game, we will play eight rounds, each of which is divided into two major parts an auction phase and an action phase. In the auction phase, you will attempt to win auctions to purchase tiles that will give you the major resources of spices, ships, colonists, as well as special abilities. Then, in the action phase, we will take turns playing an action, of course. In actions, players will be choosing either to collect resources, or to spend those resources in order to advance on one of the five progress tracks. And in each round, we'll go around three times taking an action. Advancing on progress tracks is one of the major goals of the game, as it will allow you to collect resources faster, as well as score you victory points at the end of the game. So a round involves a set of auctions, and then each player taking three actions one at a time by collecting resources, or using the resources to advance down those progress tracks. And after eight of these rounds, the players score most of their points based on the amount of progress made on those five progress tracks, as well as for a few other categories. Then, the player with the most points will be the winner of the game. Part two, the meat, how to play the game. All right, so as I said, the first step of each of these eight rounds is the auction phase. And the first thing we need to do is determine actually what we're auctioning. And this game has a very clever system for how to do that. So let's start off by talking about preparing for the auction. So in order to choose what we're auctioning off, We have this cool auction grid. It's a 5x5 grid. At the beginning of the game there's a bunch of these tiles and you mix them around and you put them on this grid in the center of the main board. The player who's randomly determined to be the start player will start the auction by having what's called a flag tile. It's like a half-size tile. And they're going to start by putting this tile on the outside of this 5x5 grid. In so doing, they're choosing which auctions are possible. The person with the flag tile, so will put that tile down adjacent to one of the tiles on the outside of the grid. Then they're going to take their auction token that says the number 1 and put that on top of the flag. Then it will be the second player's turn to place an auction token down. Now they have a choice based on what that flag tile is adjacent to. Based on where they place that, the person could have two or three choices because they're looking at things that are adjacent to that flag tile and diagonal counts as adjacent. They're going to look at those tiles and they're going to really think about which one of those tiles they think is worth the most money. Whichever one of those tiles that they put their little auction marker on, they're going to be the auctioneer for that tile. Meaning that whoever wins that auction is going to pay them the money. Or if they choose to buy it themselves, then they'll have to pay the bank. But usually the best situation is you want to put it on something very valuable, and you want someone to bid a lot on it and pay you that much money for it, because that's really one of the few ways to actually make money in this game so that you can bid on other valuable tiles. Then the round would continue. The third player would place their auction marker on a tile that was adjacent to wherever the number two is. Then they might have something like five choices because it can be any of those ones surrounding where that number two is, including diagonal. And then the fourth player, again, would take their number four of their color. Everyone has a set of five of these auction tiles, one, two, three, four, and five in their color and so the fourth player would take the number four say it was green look at the adjacent tiles the ones adjacent to the one that the three is on Pick one of those tiles put their four on and then it would come back to the person who played the flag because they get to put one down too. so they, they would pick their number five and they would put that marker down on a tile adjacent to wherever the four is and now we've established what we're going to bid on we're going to have five auctions we're first going to auction for the flag then we're going to auction for the tile that the number two is on then the one that the number three is on till we get to the one that tile number five is on If you had three players, you would only have four auctions. Two players, you would have three auctions. In the first round, you're going to have a full 5 by 5 grid. In round two, it's going to get a little funky because you'll have some tiles missing on that grid. So some interesting things can happen. The person who places the flag can actually put it inside the grid. And you can have a situation where someone can place an auction marker and there's no tile adjacent to that anymore. In that case the next person would get to choose whatever tile they wanted on the grid to sort of restart the train. We have A tiles and B tiles. The A tiles are used for the first four rounds of the game. After round four any tiles that are still left on there are wiped out of the game Then we have B tiles, which are a little bit more strong and more valuable than the the A tiles. And you randomly put those out, and you use those for the final four rounds of the game, rounds five through eight. So that's how that auction setup works. The flag person starts, they put it on the outside, or if there's missing tiles, they can put it on the inside of the grid. Then the second player puts down the two, third player puts down the three, until everyone has placed an auction marker down on one tile. Then we run the auctions let's look at how the auctions work so here are the rules for the auction the process is pretty simple you just go in order of the numbers that are on the board the flag will always have the one on it and then there will be numbers on tiles two three four and five or maybe just two three and four so you always start with the flag auction And whoever placed that flag, he's the auctioneer. He has that one down in his color. For example, I would be blue, and I would have my one on the blue. So I would say, all right, I'm auctioning off the flag, and I'm the auctioneer because it's my item. And whoever is the auctioneer can say, I bid zero on the flag, which is a good thing to say because it just reminds everyone that if no one bids on whatever it is, the auctioneer can take it for free. Then the bidding goes in clockwise order, and this is what's called a once-around auction, meaning you only have one chance to place a bid. So the person to the left of me would bid on the flag. Who cares? Why do you care about getting the flag? Well the flag is gives you start player which means you get to go first in the action phases But more importantly in the following round You'll get to place that flag decide where the auctions start which can be a nice little advantage And it's likely someone will pay you to try to take that from you in the following round so they can get these bonuses But the big advantage is when you win the flag You can see there's a picture of a card with an A on it you get an extra action card You can use these action cards to get more actions than and three in a round. And so that's typically pretty valuable. So players want both of those things. The action card is a really nice advantage, particularly. So the bids go clockwise around the table. You are allowed to pass if you do not want to bid. If you want to bid, you have to bid higher than the previous person. But remember, you only get to bid once. Say I'm the blue player. I start the bid, I say zero. The next person says three. The next person says four. The next person says pass. Now it comes back to me. Now, I have a choice. The highest bid is four. Since I'm the auctioneer, I get to keep that money if I want to sell that thing. So my choice is, I could accept that bid of four, and he would pay me the four money, and then he would get it. He would get the flag and the action card. Or I could reject that bid. And when you reject that bid, you say, I'm going to buy it myself. You have to have enough money to do that when you reject a bid you get a discount of one minus the highest bid so in this situation by rejecting the bid and buying it myself it would cost me three but then i would get to keep the flag and i would get the extra action card so you always have to sort of play that game when you're bidding is how much money is he willing to accept and how low would be too low for him to reject it and buy it himself remember whatever the high bid is the auctioneer either takes that money from the player or they reject that bid. And when they reject the bid, they subtract one from the highest bid. So if the highest bid was seven, I can either take that player seven, say, I'll take your seven or say, I'll buy it for six. That six money doesn't go to the player who bid, that goes to the bank. When the auctioneer buys an item, they pay the money to the bank. So what are you bidding on? What are those tiles? Well, typically there's three different types of tiles that you're bidding on. The brown tiles are plantations, and the plantations will have one or two bags for spices. You have a plantation board. You have space for four plantations and four colonies. And this is how you get plantations from the auction board. And if you win a plantation, you have to take it, put it on your little plantation board, Say it was a cinnamon plantation with two outlines of spice bags. And the plantation comes already loaded with with those spices. So you would get two bags of cinnamon. Uh, You'd take two of these cute little wooden spice bags and put it right on that tile. So not only do you get the two cinnamon spice bags, but you also can regrow more cinnamon. And we'll talk about how to do that later. But it's very important you get these plantations because the spice bags are what you need to go up on the tracks. Next, you'll see blue tiles. The blue tiles are sort of bonuses. They're like a one-time collection of resources or a one-time special effect. Some very common ones would be to take three ships or to take three colonist cards. The ship cards are also needed for upgrading on those tracks, and the colonists are used for colonizing, which I'll tell you more about in a minute. And you just get whatever the tile said, and then you'd and you just put the tile in the box. The ones that give you a special ability, you have to wait till your action phase, and then you can use that special ability. It doesn't count as your action, you just have to wait till your turn on the action phase to do it. And then you get the special thingy, and then you put the tile in the box because it has been used. And I'll tell you more about some of those special abilities in the footnotes. Then there's these orange tiles, and I like to call these like income tiles because these pay you every round. Once you get one of these, one of them is um, $3 and one of them is a ship card. Once you get them, you can use them every round. So if you get that $3 one in the first round, it's going to pay you $24 over the course of the game because 8 times 3 is 24. So you just flip it over every round and then you take the money. Or the ship card could get you up to 8 ships. The brown are plantations that give you spices immediately and the ability to grow more of that spice. The blue ones are are a one-time reward of a bunch of ships or, or colonists or something. The oranges pay you out over the course of the game once per round. So that's the rules for bidding and what you're bidding for. Since everybody puts out a tile, hopefully you win at least one of those auctions and get at least one of those tiles. But it could happen if you're so poor in money that you don't. That's the end of the auction phase. Now it's time to start taking actions. So the action phase, we start with the person with the flag, and we go around clockwise, each person taking an action. And we're going to go around three times, and then pretty much the round is over. We're going to go on to round two and auction again. So what is an action? This is something I referenced earlier in the part about what I loved about this game. In an action, you have to make the difficult decision of you have these five tracks. You have your your five, uh, your progress board is what it's called. And there's five vertical tracks. You have a cube at the top of each one. And your goal is to move these cubes down to the bottom of the tracks. And for each action, the action is either to upgrade that action by moving a cube down the track which I just realized doesn't make any sense at all to call it upgrading because the cube's moving down, but downgrading doesn't make any sense either. Advancing? Devancing? I don't know. Moving on the track is one option. Or to take the action. Most of the actions simply give you a certain number of resources. So you have that tension between needing to get stuff and wanting to upgrade them so you get more stuff when you take the actions. And of course, in order to upgrade, you need stuff. Let's look at those five action tracks and how they get upgraded. From left to right, we have ships, grow spices, take money, get expedition cards, and colonize. The first three are the most basic. The first one, for example, uh, the action there is take one ship. So as your action, I can just say, I'm going to take one ship card. If you upgrade it, you move down the track, you'll see the next space says two ships. My three actions in a round might be my first action is to take a ship. It comes around to me again. I upgrade my ship track, and then next action, I take two ships. And those would be my three actions in a round. The next action is grow spices. This is only useful if you have empty plantations. So you want to win those plantations and then you'll you'll probably use those spice bags up and then you'll want to refill them. The first one on the track is to grow one spice and then next is two and then next is four, six, eight. So by the end of the game, you might have four or five plantations all empty and you can take one action and refill all of them with spice bags. Hooray! And the reason you need the ship cards and the spices is because those are the resources you need to pay to go down the tracks. The next track is to take money and the reason you want money is because you need money to do well in those auctions the next track is to collect purple expedition cards and what these cards do is they give you special abilities or you can save them for the end of the game to get victory points and the final track is founding colonies the further you are down this track the easier it is for you to get more colonies colonies are basically just like the plantations you get from the auctions except they're also worth victory points at the end of the game So your six choices for actions on a turn are to take ship cards, to grow spices by filling up your empty plantations, to take money, to take expedition special ability cards, or to try to found a colony. Or finally, you can move a cube down one of those tracks to improve your ability to take that action. To go down the first level, you need a ship card and a particular spice designated on your board. The second level is two ships and two particular spices. Third level is three and three. And to get to the final level on the track, you need four ship cards and four spices. So you can see it gets harder and harder to get these more and more powerful abilities. Now let's talk more specifically about those purple Expedition cards. Two main ways you get them are from buying a tile on the auction board, we'll generally give you a few of these, as well as taking the Expedition card action. For example, the first one is just to draw one. These cards have several parts. The special ability part of the card is in the top of the card, and is unfortunately in indecipherable iconography, so you have to refer to the chart in the rulebook that will actually explain to you, in English, what all those crazy symbols mean. Typical abilities of the expedition cards are just to give you more ship cards, or give you money, or to give you a cheap upgrade. There's one one card that lets you upgrade without paying the ships. And another kind of card that lets you upgrade without paying the spices. And both of those are very nice. The card may have an A on it. If it does not have an A on it, then you just kind of get to play it for free, like the one that gives you five money. If it does not have an A on it, that means it does not count as an action. It's just sort of a little bonus thing that you can do. So I could play that card to get my five money, and then do my action of choosing one of the five tracks or upgrading the track. If it has the A on it, that means it sort of improves your action. For example, the upgrade ones I was talking about, you would play that along with your upgrading action, and it would make that action cheaper. But that is your action for the turn. You don't get another action. An important rule is you can only play one of these per turn. You can play it before you take your action, with your action, or after you take your action. And it may actually matter when you decide to play that card, but only one of these may be played for the ability per turn. Now, you'll notice on the action track, there's actually two numbers. The first one is 1-1, the next one is 1-2, the next one on the tree is 2-3. The first number is how many cards you get to draw when you take the action. The second one is a hand limit when you take that action, but only when I take that action. So if I take that action as my first action, I get to draw a card, and I can only have one card in my hand. It comes around to me again, I decide to take that action again, I'm either gonna have to play the card in my hand before I draw my new card, or discard the card in my hand, because when I take the action, my hand limit is one. During that action, I can't have more than one card in my hand. Now, that hand limit isn't enforced at other parts of the game. For example, some of the auction tiles give you a bunch of cards. One of them gives you three expedition cards. If you win that, and you have three cards in your hand, but you're only on the first spot on the track, that's fine. But then if I'm a dummy, and I take that action, and I'm at 1-1, then I'm going to have to discard some cards, and I'm, I'm in trouble. It's kind of a confusing part of the game. Next, let's talk about founding colonies. As I said, colonies are just like plantations. They're things that give you spices, and places that hold spices allow you to regrow more spices, but they're also worth victory points at the end of the game. And this is what the colonist resource cards are used for. You start with two of those colonist cards, and there's no action to give you more colonists. The only easy way to get more colonists is to win them on auction tiles. So how do you colonize a colony? Now, there's four different places to colonize, and I guess they're different distances apart or something, because they have a difficulty level of 6, 8, 10, and 12. And these an outline of these different Four places you can colonize is there on one of your player boards there and is listed the numbers 6, 8, 10, 12. Quillon, I'm certainly not pronouncing that correctly. Quillon, you need a value of six colonists in order to colonize it. When I choose to colonize, I pick a place to colonize. I'll probably start with the easier one. Quillon takes six. The game gives me for free between two and six random colonists. And how you get these random colonists is that's another use for these purple cards. On the bottom of them has a colonist symbol and a number one, two, and three. And when you take that colonize action, you flip the top two cards of this deck and you only look at the bottom part. And each one, as I said, says 1, 2, or 3. You'll probably get around 4. But if you get very unlucky, you could you could get as few as 2. And if you get very lucky, you could have as many as 6. So if I flip those two cards up, I get a 3 and a 3, and I get a 6. Hooray! I've colonized Quillen. But if not, which I probably won't, I'll need to add to that in order to get up to the required number. I get to add two things. First of all, I get a free colonist equal to how good I am at colonizing, how far I am down the colonization track. And you can see the number of free colonists you get to add every time you colonize is there. It says 0, 2, 4, 5, and 6. So at the beginning of the game, you get to add 0. If you advance down that track, you're going to get two for free when you colonize. So you would get two plus the random numbers that flip up. If you're still not there, that's what the colonist cards are there in your hand for. You can play colonist cards to make up the difference so that you can get to that minimum number. So here's an example. I want to colonize. First, I have to declare which one I'm going for first. I can't change my mind after I flip the cards. I say I'm going for Quillen, has a difficulty of 6. I flip the top two cards of the purple Expedition deck. I look at the bottom, I got unlucky. I got a 1 and a 2 for a total of 3. On the colonization track, I've progressed one level, so I get 2 free bonus colonists. So I get the 3 plus the 2 for free. I'm still short, I only have 5 and I need 6. 6. I look in my hand and i have one colonist card so i decide to play that so that i can successfully colonize hooray i have succeeded the colony tiles are there on the board i take one of the quillen colony tiles i put it on my personal board and i can load it with a spice bag as you go up six eight ten twelve they get better the six level lets you choose between two different colors of spices. The 8 level, you can choose any spice you want. The 10 level holds two bags of spices, which you can choose between two different colors. And the Calcutta, the 12, the most difficult, holds two bags, and when you grow there, you can choose any color you want. You can do these in any order you want, but you can only do one of each. So once I knock down the easy one, I'm going to have to maybe go down that colonization track in order to start getting the more difficult ones. If I fail, say I didn't have that extra card in my hand, I do not get the colony tile, and as sort of a booby prize, I get to take one colonist card from from the bank. And now hopefully next time I colonize, I'll be able to do it. You're also allowed to not play the colonist cards in your hand. If you think you got really unlucky, and you don't want to burn all your colonists, you may decide not to play them. Now that's how colonization works. So now you should have a good gist of what we're trying to do in this game. You're trying to get spice bags and chips so you can get down these tracks, so you can get more spice bags and chips so you can get even further down the tracks. But beyond that, getting down the tracks is the major goal of the game. If you looked at the left side of these tracks, you'll see numbers. 0, 1, 3, 6, 10. And those are victory points. They go up in this funky, triangular fashion. The further you get down them, you get sort of quasi-exponentially rewarded. Triangularly rewarded? Does that make any sense? And these victory points are most, probably at least two-thirds of the victory points you're going to get in a game that really only plays to about 40 or 50 or so victory points. So that's really what you're trying to do. Now, you'll notice a few other symbols on this progress track board. There's two different kinds of progress bonuses you can get, and cleverly, Mr. Dorn has rewarded us for doing opposite things on this track. You get rewarded for being balanced, and you get rewarded for specializing. And both of these rewards work completely differently. Let's talk about a specialization bonus that I'm gonna call. By the 6 and by the 10 you'll see a purple card symbol. This is a bonus for doing really well at one particular track. The first person to get to the 4th level of a particular track gets a bonus expedition card, and again hand limits don't matter. Let's say I'm the first person to get to the 4th level of the ship's track. No one else has gotten there yet. I check, I say... I'm the first person here, and I take a purple card. Hooray. And then next action, maybe I get down to the the fifth level. Same thing happens. I'm the first person to the fifth level of the ship's track, and I get a purple card. There's also a bonus for balance. You'll see on the right side of your progress board, there's a bonus action card symbol. These are cards with a red letter A on it. That does not stand for adulter, it stands for action. With these, you're not competing against the other people to get there first, it's just whoever can do it. Anyone who advances all five tracks at least one level, one of them could be further down, once I advance my fifth track and I have advanced all of them at least once, I can show that to the other players and claim one of these bonus action cards. The same thing happens if I advance all my tracks down to the next level, and so on and so on, though realistically, because of how difficult it is to get to those bottom layers, you'll probably only get one or two action cards in this way. So, first person to the fourth and fifth level of each particular track, gets a purple Expedition card. Whenever anyone advances all five tracks to the first level or the next level, then they would get to take an Action card. Let's talk about those Action cards. How can you get them? You get them, remember, from the flag auction at the beginning of every round. Whoever wins that gets to take one of those cards with a big red A on it. Some of the tiles provide these Action cards. And when you get this balance bonus for progressing each of the tracks, you'll get one of these. Here's how these are used after we go around three times each person will have an opportunity to play one of those cards to take another action they just turn that into the bank and do their standard action how they normally do it either going down a track or choosing one of the tracks and doing that action like taking chips or money. And so the start player would start. Maybe he cashes in a card, does an action. Other people pass or they don't have one. Maybe the fourth player has one. He chooses to use his. Then it comes back to me. I have another action card. I decide to use it at that point and take another action. You keep going around and around till people are out of action cards or choose not to use them. You are allowed to carry over up to one of these each round. So if you have three of them, you're going to have to use at least two of them. No fair saving them all up to the end. But that's it. Now you know everything about how to take those actions. After we go around three times, people may use their A cards. Maybe we should call them Fonzie cards. A. Probably only slightly better than Hester Prynne cards. But that's how the actions work. Now let's just review the full game structure and how we tally up the final scores. So again, the game structure, there's two major phases, the A phase and the B phase that last four rounds each. And in each round, we place those auction tokens down in in order, starting with the, the person with the flag, and then this next person will play on a tile adjacent to the previous person. Then we know what we're auctioning for, we execute those auctions starting each auction with the auctioneer, then we'll start with the flag person and go around three times. We'll see if anyone wants to use their Fonzie cards. After four rounds are over, our auction board will look pretty depleted, so we'll wipe all those away. We'll refill the board with B tiles, which are start to get a little more interesting. And then we do the whole thing four more times. And after round eight, we're ready to calculate the final scores. So here's how you get your final score. We talked about the victory points marking on your progress board. You're going to go through each of your five tracks and simply add, based on that score key, 0, 1, 3, 6, and 10. Maybe I have ships at 6 and harvest at 10 and taxes at 3 and expedition at 6 and colonization at 6. I add that up and I have 31 points, and that's probably about what you get from that, about 30 points. Then you look at the number of colonies you founded. You'll have between 0 and 4 colonies, because you can only do each one once. And you use that same system. zero, one, three, six, or 10 points. Then, here's the last thing about these expedition cards. It's very important to know. They have an ability at the top that you can use. They have that little colonist thing in the lower left, which just sort of happens when people colonize. In the lower right, they have a picture of an animal on it, like a tiger or a fish or a shell or something. And if you don't like the ability, or you think it's more valuable, you can save those cards, and those cards are all worth points at the end. And they're worth more points if you save ones with the same symbol on them. There's five of each one, and so the value of those cards goes up in that same pattern. 0, 1, 3, 6, 10, and if you manage to get all five of the same symbol, then that would be 15 points. And so it is a good strategy to pay attention to those symbols. If you happen to get two that match, you may choose to hold on to them as the points may be more valuable than the ability. A couple more places to get points. Whoever has the most money gets three points at the end of the game. And that makes those final auctions a little bit more interesting because you can't just bid everything that you have. Some of the tiles have a number with a circle in them. That's the victory point symbol in this game. So look for any tiles that you have that give you victory points. And there's just a few of them. And add those to your total. And that's it. Most of it comes from your progress on your tracks. A few more for your colonies. Maybe a few more for your expedition cards. Maybe a lot more for your expedition cards. Bonus for most ducats. Points on tiles. Total that up somewhere around 40-50 points. And whoever has the most points is the winner of the game. Part 3, The Hamster. How to win the game. Alright, let's talk Goa strategy, shall we? I haven't played this game as much as I would have liked, but I can tell you what I've learned so far. Most common mistake when people first start playing this game, when they put their auction tiles down on the board, they get excited by the things that they want. And so they put their little auction marker on the thing that they want. No, 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 no. You want to put them on what your opponents want. You actually have to look look at their board, look at their game situation, get inside their head, see what they're missing. Do they need ships? Do they need plantations? Do they need colonists? And that's what you want to go on. Try to put blinders on for what you want, or maybe, if you really care, you can try to get close to the things that you want, but you don't want to actually put your marker on what you actually want. Next, what do you bid? This is the hardest part because, as I said, you can't really feel people out. You have to figure out what the magic number is on the first try. A few of the considerations. The order in which the auctions happen and what place you are in that order really matters. Keep in mind, Are you going to give a bunch of money to someone that you might be competing for on something else later? Are you going to be getting your money, say, in the second auction that you could use in the third and fourth auction? Pay attention to when you're getting money and when you're going to give other players money because that matters. Next, in determining a value, it's not exactly as important as how much it's worth to you, but how much is it worth to you compared to the other players? If you can find something that's valuable to you and the other players don't care about as much, you can maybe get good deals on that. Also, sometimes you you, you pick out what you really want in the four or five auctions, but don't forget to bid just to make sure that people have to pay at least a decent amount for what something is worth. You can't really let anybody get anything for zero you know you should at least probably bid two because then they'll have to at least pay one to the bank everything's worth at least two probably more but a lot of times you may have to place that bid of maybe three or four just to make sure that somebody even if you don't really want it just to sort of get in somebody's way to make them pay a few bucks for that thing that they need another thing to think about when you're placing your bids is how many auctions are you trying to win that turn if you're just trying to win one auction, if that's all you really need, then that's going to change what that number is. If you can win two of those auctions and plan out you know about how much money that's going to be in order to do that, figure that out in advance. And a last tip for you, sometimes it can feel like you're just picking numbers out of the sky. And what you pick for these numbers is one of the most important factors in winning this game. But one little guidepost for you and really helped me in just getting a little better sense of value, is think about the auction for the flag. When you bid on the flag, you get the flag which is starting player, you get to place where that flag goes, you get an action card, and you get to be the auctioneer for that flag the next time. People are going to pay you money to take that from you. The most valuable thing is that action card. At the very least, you can use that action card and take money with it. The lowest money is four. So at the beginning of the game, you can just turn in that action card for four, but keep in mind all those other benefits that you get. So the value of that flag has to be worth somewhere around how much money you can get with that, that extra action. If you've moved down to the track where you can use one action to get ten bucks then that extra action starts to be worth 10 to you. And as you play the game, you'll notice the values for everything escalate, 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 which makes the game very interesting. Lastly about value is, remember it's a closed economy, that that money floats back and forth. Don't forget, in an auction, you just handed that person $7, they have that $7 for the future bids. Don't forget to pay attention when somebody takes money, because that's inflating that closed economy. A lot of considerations here, which is why I love this game. So beyond some of those value discussions, let's talk about some overarching strategies for playing this game. First of all, you have to have plantations. You can get those plantations in in auction, and if you don't get any in auction, you're probably going to have to do some colonizing. Without any plantations to get spice bags, there's not much you can do next thing you are going to have to upgrade it's kind of the main goal of the game is to upgrade your tracks and in order to upgrade you need spices and ships now there's a couple different avenues that you can go down to get those things the most obvious way to get those things is to get plantations from the auction track upgrade your spice and ship tracks so you can get more ships and quickly fill those plantations and get further and further down those tracks Now, the purple cards, the card strategy, as I mentioned, there's some cards there that will help you with upgrading. So if you go down the card track, that lets you be a little weaker in getting the plantations and the upgrading or getting the ships as you can get a little help there. And the other way to go about it is a money strategy. If you really focus on getting lots of money, heading down that money track and taking a lot of actions to collect money, then you can dominate the auction phase of the game in order to deal with your weaknesses of not being very far on the ship track or having a lot of plantations or refilling plantations. You can make that up by picking up things to to help you upgrade and picking up more tiles in the auction. So you can already see the wide variety of strategies you can choose based on the flow of the game but just focus on the ways to get points and thus win the game your major objective is to get down those tracks that's how you get the most points also getting colonies is a good way to get points and optionally something you could really go for or something you could just sort of ignore and not worry about is getting a lot of those purple cards at the end of the game and trying to match up those symbols something you can really stack up a lot of points but if you don't focus on that that card track, you might work on the other avenues of the game to get points. But that's about it. It's a simple game. Get good values on your auctions and upgrade your tracks. Figure out how you're going to get those ships or spices or discounts to get those cubes down those tracks and score the most points. Of course, you, you could just slide them down when nobody was looking. But that would sort of take out a lot of the fun behind the game. I hope you enjoy as much as I do this exciting auction system An excellent resource management game of Goa. Part 4. Footnotes. Alright, let's get to the veggies. I was going to get rid of this, but some people said, We love the veggies. Don't get rid of the veggies. Could be could be Michelle Obama's initiative, I'm not really sure. But here we are, let's do it. Let's talk about those little rules. Right off the bat, what happens if there's a tie? Most ducats, most money wins ties. Public-private information. You'll notice that some of the cards are double-sided and some aren't. The action cards, the ships, and the colonists are all public information. That's why there's no backside of the cards. The expedition cards, of course, and the money do have backs. And that means that information is private. Let's talk about those tiles in a little more detail. The orange tiles earn you something every turn. Um, you can only use those during the action phase, so you can't use them before the the auction happens. And when you use them, flip them over, and then at the beginning of a round, when we start, you know, doing the auction, things flip it back over. It's the onus is on you to remember to flip it over and reflip it. Most of those orange ones are in the on the A tiles. On the B tiles, the The tiles have a bit more neato special abilities. They're more victory points oriented because it's later in the game. There's a lot of special ability ones. Those special ability ones, like the orange ones, you have to wait until it's like your action in the action phase to use them. And most of them you use them and then you remove the tile from the game. Some of them just give you straight victory points. It's that number in the circle there. There's one that you just pay six spices and then flip it over and it's worth five points at the end. There's one of the tiles, one of the new tiles, a special ability is to take one of the tiles that is not used in the game. It's called the favor tile. And because of that, you need to keep a special stack of the four tiles that were never placed on the board. And don't mix those in with the ones people are throwing away because they've used their special ability. A couple little bit more confusing tiles there. One's called espionage. Again, these tiles have this wonderful iconography, which doesn't really mean anything, at least to me. With espionage... I cash that tile in and then I get sort of a bonus action and I get to do it at one of my opponent's best tracks. And so if one of my opponents is really high on money, I could say, all right, I'm going to cash in my tile and use it for an action to take 12 money. It basically gives you a free action and lets you use one of your opponent's best action tracks to do that. So that's a fun little thing there. Then we have the Vice King. I know I played this wrong the first time I played it. This gives you a free upgrade when you use it you can upgrade one of your tracks but it has to be one of your lowest tracks that's an important rule has to be one of your lowest if you have two that are tied for the lowest or multiples you can choose but it must be your lowest track then there's a swap tile which is a lot of fun when you choose to use that one you swap it with anyone on the board you get to take that one and can use it immediately or do whatever it does but the swap tile goes back onto the board. So in a future auction phase, it may get rebought and someone will swap something else out. It's a fun little tile there. So those are all the the more complicated tiles. Now let's talk about this new edition. It did take longer than it should have. I will say that. They've been saying this has been ready to come out for the last three years. And I refrained from buying the old edition, especially at the out-of-print prices because i was waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting for it well even though it took a ridiculously long time they did a nice job with it they made about 10 to 12 changes from very minor to changes that affect a game balance and all of these changes i like so if you have the old edition and want to know what's different or you're considering buying an old edition or are just curious what they changed let me go over what they did change and why I like it. First, let's talk about the real changes, the thing that really actually impact the game, and then we'll get into the the minor rinky-dink stuff. And some of you, if you have the old edition, you might be like, no, that's not right. And maybe it might be one of the reasons is because it's a change that they made to the new edition. The rules that I just explained are as of the new Expedition version, which I think is the best way to play the game. I think you'll still get... A Very good experience out of it playing with the first edition rules, but I think that the new edition rules are definitely an Improvement so some of the real changes to the game in the bidding the auctioneer can bid minus one the value of the highest bid That's a new rule. It used to be that you had to actually outbid the highest bidder as normal So if someone bid four, you would have to bid five in order to take your own thing and pay the bank Well in order to make for a more difficult decision when someone bids four, you can take it for only three because experienced players have figured out that you normally want people to pay you and so now that you can buy your own thing at a little bit of a discount it makes it a harder decision and makes the game better some of the other changes were to balance some of the different strategies i mentioned the the card strategy of getting lots of cards well the card strategy was really really good In the first version of the game, they changed the prices around of where some of which spices you need for some of the different things. On the expedition cards, there used to be only five different symbols, six of each. Well, now they made it six different symbols, five of each, so it's harder to get points from the card strategy. They also improved some of the other tracks. They added to the bottom levels of the calmest and ship tracks to make those a little more valuable. They added two more tiles to both the, the A set and the B set to give a little more variety. And so those are the changes that affect the game. So as you can see, it's it's really not that much. But I do like all those changes. Now, the, the other changes that don't really effectively uh, change the game, they took out the rule that the auctioneer... Bid zero they just say start bidding clockwise from the the auctioneer i really like still saying i bid zero because that really starts the auction it effectively it's the same thing you can do it however you want Let's see start player used to get seven money now they only get five because they know that flag is a little more valuable because there's more tiles they put in a rule that when you sort out those initial tiles you have to check and make sure that no more than two of the tiles removed are plantations because it's very important that there's a decent amount of plantations in each set. They made a few minor changes to the tiles. They included stickers, so you can put little stickers that have the symbols of the spices on your little wooden pieces if you want to. A really nice addition is they added little tiles to keep track of what round it is, and they added little discs for the start player to put on those round tiles to mark which round you're around. There's a one, two, three, and A. So the first time around, you put the 1 down. Next time, you put the 2 down, and this helps track, because I certainly have lost track. And is this the second round or is this the third round so just those little bits are, are nice little happy things in the box and there's two low variants for experienced players there's a quick startup that that lets people go for a little higher scores and and start down two tracks and and add some varied beginning to the game and then there's what's called these bonanza tiles, which just give little bonuses, and these are hidden under the four corners of the board. And so in those four corners, you know that if you, if you win that, you're going to get a little bonus something, but you don't know what it is. So I really look forward to uh, experimenting with both of those and just look forward to playing this game a lot more now that they've got this really well-balanced version of, the, of this great game, and I really want to play this a lot more Uh, over the next year i hope you will give it a shot i hope you uh, find as much respect for this game as i have in fact a little fun fact and i talked about my educational designs in in an episode of ludology i actually designed a little native american board game using that sort of tech tree concept and sort of stripping it down making it a, a real basic game but that mechanic was very inspirational to me, as well as just the the way the auction system works, I I just can't say enough about it. But I can almost say enough about it because my voice is starting to get dry. We're at about uh, two hours of recording time. I need to edit through all this and get it out before October to meet my promise to you, the wonderful supporters of the How to Play podcast. So I'm going to shut down the mic now and get busy on the editing so that I can get this out to the interwebs for your enjoyment. I'm going to try to get back on the air sooner in October, hopefully somewhere in the middle of October, with another great episode of How to Play. I hope you enjoyed this one. I hope you've been enjoying our episodes there at Ludology. and I hope you'll enjoy some of the other podcasts there on the Dice Tower Network. Be sure to go to dicetowernetwork.com. There's a lot more joining the network. There's probably 10 or 20 podcast there so while you're waiting for me checking your itunes daily to see if the new how to play has been released there are a lot of other great podcasts there for you to choose from including the d6 generation which i hear has just joined our fine network so i hope you'll enjoy some of those other shows and look forward to coming back here in october for another wonderful episode of the how to play podcast thanks again to the great supporters of the south i hope you all enjoyed that one Originally, I had planned on doing the entire thing in my wonderful southern accent. I decided that 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 may get a bit annoying and um, may not be very respectful. So decided to, uh, you know, maybe leave that out. I hope you all have a very pleasant fall. My favorite season. I got a a brand new class of, of children to teach this year. I'm excited for the year. Excited to spend the fall with my family. I hope you have a good one with your own. That's it for me, everybody. Hopefully, you'll hear from me soon. Thank you so much for listening. This has been Ryan Stern of the How to Play podcast. That wraps up this episode of How to Play, but be sure to visit us on our website, www.howtoplaypodcast.com, for all the How to Play resources, to discuss the show, to contact me, or to show your appreciation for the show with a PayPal donation. I count on your support to help keep How to Play growing. If you use and love the How to Play podcast, I need your help. Show your appreciation by making a donation, spread the word about the show, and just let me know what you think about the show there at the Guild. Thanks again to you, the How to Play listeners around the world. And until next time, I hope you will learn, teach, and play great games. The How to Play podcast is part of the Dice Tower Network, the premier board gaming media network featuring Ludology and the flagship podcast, The Dice Tower. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com. Lastly, uh, I'd like to just apologize to the good people of the band Starship and um, what I did to their song. We Built This City on Rock and Roll. It was really a magical song for me growing up. I, I remember many a day listening to that song, Over the Jukebox, uh, roller skating with roller skates to that song along the the roller skating rink and uh, it really has a special place in my heart so i hope you'll you'll forgive me